together, and we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 24 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you get there quick enough, you can also take a ribbon, a marker, or something, and go to Psalm 37, if you will. All right? So 1 Samuel 24, beginning in verse number 1, and then Psalm 37, or else I'll give you that passage a little bit later. I've been looking forward to this message. Many of you know David is my favorite character in all of the Bible outside of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those who are new to our study, we've been studying the life of David, not verse by verse, but looking at some snapshots. There are 14 chapters that line out the story of Abraham's life. Think about that. One of the great characters in all the Bible, 14 chapters. We learned this the very first week of this series, to look at the importance of the life of David by example for us. There are 66 chapters in the Bible that outline, that give the biography of David's life. More is written about David's life than anyone else in the Bible outside of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I believe I've heard different ones, Abraham Lincoln, others, but a world leader once said who had a big wart right here on his cheek, when someone was trying to get the best image of him, trying to look at what side to take and uh, to draw the portrait of him, whether it was Abraham Lincoln, whoever it was, saw what they were doing, and he said, just draw me warts and all. In the Bible, I'm glad that God gives us a glimpse of people who are real, spiritual warts and all. Now tonight, a very unique story in the life of David that we'll be looking at, if you find chapter 24, verse number 1. It says there, and it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. Father, I pray again that you'd bless this message. I thank you for the singing, the time of prayer together. But now we gather ourselves at your feet to learn of you from your word. And Father, I pray that from the youngest to the eldest in here, we would be ready to hear your word. We'd be taken up by it. Our thoughts would be consumed of you and of your truth tonight. And that we would leave here in a few minutes more prepared to walk in victory, more ready to walk in the power of the Spirit of God, having learned of your word truths that apply to our living it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Revenge. Let me ask you this. Be honest. Have you ever taken revenge on anybody before in any way? Okay, I'm looking at a whole lot of people who have never driven before. <laughs> you might not take a weapon, but sometimes we take a car and make it like a weapon. Now, maybe you didn't exact revenge, but let me ask you this question. Anybody in the room ever thought about revenge? Oh, now some more hands are going up. 
Revenge. It has many different looks, doesn't it? Sometimes revenge comes in a look from one person to another. Sometimes revenge comes through thought, and often revenge comes through action. People have different thoughts about revenge. A very, very well-known singer said this one time, the best revenge is massive success. And in the world's way of looking at it, he was a very successful singer. Somebody else said this, in moments of pain, we seek revenge. Someone very wisely put it this way, revenge is often like biting the dog because the dog bit you. No trait, someone said, is more justified than revenge in the right time and place. Sound like anybody you've ever met? I could give you her name. You would know who she is. She has a very well-known last name. But she once said, gorgeous hair is the best revenge. Albert Hitchcock, famed mystery writer and producer, said revenge is sweet and it's non-fattening. Someone else said revenge is a powerful motivator. One actor maybe summed it up very well in just a few short words. Revenge doesn't stop. And of course, we've heard this, Mr. Hitchcock laid it out and then finished it. Three words. For a lot of people, revenge is sweet. You may have looked on the boards in front of you where it's in front of me. How sweet it is! But how sweet is it really? You see, when you come to 1 Samuel 24, you're continuing the story of David's life dwelling in caves. He's not the king yet. He's been anointed the king. The Philistines even recognized it when he ran off to Gath. Others knew it. He reaped the praises of the people, and Saul had grown bitter. Saul is now chasing after him, the Bible says, with 3,000 men to hunt down David. We remember that David has a few hundred that are with him. No match for 3,000 if they were to find him. So here is David hiding in caves. And as it would be, Saul goes into a cave. Notice this. Verse number 3. Many of us would look at these next two verses and say, this must be God's will. And he came to the sheepcoats, by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now I need, Gabriel, could you, would you mind helping me out tonight, Gabriel? Could you help me out? And let's see. Uh, Jonathan, would you help me out tonight? Mr. Lopez, would you help me out tonight? Would it be okay if you help me out? Okay. Let me see here. Anyone else that would like to get embarrassed this evening? All right, Kyle, would you like to help me out? I, I, I saw him smiling at me, okay? All right, so now, I called you up first, and you're kind of you're taller than these guys, so you're Saul, okay? All right? All right? And you're David, all right? And you're Saul's army. Come on over here. Come on over here, guys, all right? Got to have the teenagers with us, trying to keep your focus. Okay, so, 
you guys are on the outside. You think king goes into cave, everything's okay. Okay? You guys are the happiest warriors I've ever seen in my life. All right? So, now over here, we've got, we've got Gabriel, who's King Saul, and we've got Jonathan, who's David. All right? David, would you just kind of go and sit over there? See the music stand? There's a little stand over there. Okay? Now, we have seen that David knows what is right. Saul does what is wrong. But how many of you know that all of us have influences that come into our life? So, Brother Josh, could you come up and help me out for just a moment? You're going to be the influence. Now, normally, and Josh is a very good influence for good, but you're going to be an influence for wrong, and you're going to go over there, and you're going to go by David over there. Okay? You're one of the indebted dissidents of the kingdom who joined David last week in our last message. All right? Now they are shaking hands. Very good. Dapping it up. All right. So Saul goes into the cave to rest. We'll put it that way. His men are on the outside. His men think everything is okay. So you guys just kind of turn here. I want you to face the other way because the cave has an entrance, right? And so if he's in the cave, you're outside the cave, you're keeping the cave safe from those who would come from that way, having no idea, notice Saul, that David's in the back of the cave, all right? Everything's fine. You're in the cave, you're resting, we'll call it that, and you're taking it easy here for just a moment, not realizing, thinking you're safe, these guys are here, David's in the back of the cave. And David's men, represented by Joshua. Now there's several of them, not all of them. You wouldn't be able to fit all of them in there. But now David's in the back of the cave. Now I want you to think first of all tonight, and this is just by way of application to get to the message tonight. Just some, just some seeds for thought. First of all, how many of you know that the influences in your life are powerful? Okay? So, David does what's right. Notice here that in verse number 4, as Saul's also in the cave... It says, and the men, there's Joshua over there, of David said, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. This is it, David. Now let me ask you this. Saul's the king. Who is over the king in Israel? God is. It's God's responsibility to bring up or to take down the king. And God has already said it's going to be David, but God hasn't done it yet. So let me ask you, is what these men represented by Josh over here, did they give good, good advice or bad advice? Bad advice, good answer. But the greater point that I want to get to, everybody, is that some people think that just because there's an opportunity, it means it's God's will. And I have seen in many years now of ministry, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, of equating an opportunity to God's will. When many times that could be the case, but oftentimes it's a test. It's an open door, I need to go through it. Nothing stopped me from going through it, so it must be God's purpose or plan. 
Have you ever noticed something? God lets you make good decisions and God lets you make bad decisions. Let's just be real for a minute. How many of you have ever made a bad decision and thought, boy, I wish the Lord had stopped me? And then you go, oh yeah, he did try. Right here in his word, didn't he? But a lot of people look at situations and say, this is a common mistake. They agree with David's men and they go, well, it must be a good idea. Look, why, listen, why else? Why else would God have allowed Saul into the same cave, David, that we're in? And if Saul wasn't in tune with God's leadership, you know, David might have thought the same thing. Fast forward a couple thousand years, try 3,000 years, and you come down today and people still do the same thing. Well, this opened up in front of me, so it must be God's will. Is it God's will? Listen, is it God's will or is it a test? You see, it was not God's will for David to do anything with Saul. And he knew it, and you're going to see that he knew it in a little while. You know why? He knew it was God's will for God to handle Saul in God's time. You see, if David really wanted it way back when, Saul slain the thousands, David slain his ten thousands. If David really wanted to, he could have tried a coup way back then as a young man. But he knew it's God who raises up and it's God who brings down. What I'm getting at here, everybody, is this. More than just revenge, it is this. Christians, we must learn to wait on the timing of God. You young men and Brother Josh, you can go have a seat. But I want to make this application. As we come to Saul in a cave, David in the sides of the cave with his men, their eyes light up. For all of us tonight, we look sometimes at opportunities and determine that just because there's an opportunity, well, it must be God's will. No. See, God is willing for our good to bring tests in our life, and a test does one thing. It answers one question. Who are you going to trust? By the way, revenge, how sweet it can be, sometimes people think, answers the same question. Who are you going to trust? We're going to see from Psalm 37 in a few minutes several ways to apply this. But as we continue through this story, David doesn't kill him, but notice what David does and notice his own reaction to it. The end of verse number 4. It says, then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. Now all he does is while Saul's back is turned to him or he's resting, he's in a place where he's not paying attention and not noticing his surroundings. David at some point comes up and he could have thrust a dagger at him easily and killed him. All he does is he just cuts a piece of his garment off. Apparently so much so that when Saul gets up a little while later and walks out, he doesn't even notice that it's gone. Now we're going to see that in a moment. But here's what I want you to see first. Again, the question to answer tonight, whether it's revenge, whether it's, hey, look, David, the opportunity, it must be God's will, or even this, 
when we step outside the boundaries is who are we going to trust? Verse number five. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. You want to speak of a man who is sensitive to the leadership of God in his life? That's David at this point in time. He is so sensitive that he could have been in the place where he applauds himself for not killing the man. No, his heart smotes him because his pride was such that he just wanted Saul to have a small taste of what David had gone through going from cave to cave to cave. Think about it. Saul went into a cave for a short time. David's been living in caves. You see, when it comes even to pride, pride answers the same question. Who? Who are you going to trust? And I want you to see the type of man that David is he says in verse number 6, And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. He doesn't get into his qualities. He doesn't get into his character. He just simply calls Saul his master. The Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Without knowing the context of the previous verses, you would not know but what David hadn't done something to injure or to harm Saul himself. All he had done was cut off a piece of the robe. But may I show you something in the life of David? There is a common thought today. It's common out there. And I look at it and I go, how hurtful it is to the people around us. There are people that never admit when they're wrong. Tonight's just a very practical message. Practical Christian living. Never admit that you're wrong. May I tell you, you're not going to get in the service of the Lord very long with that. People who never learn to say two words. One's a contraction for those grammarians out there I'm can you say it for me I, how did you know that was the word I didn't say it I'm sorry I was wrong for those who struggle with that in their life you struggle with where David is Here's David, and by the way, before you criticize what I'm saying, remember something. David is a man after God's own heart. He is so sensitive to the leadership of God that this is his heart. Those who struggle with that, may I just give you some common sense reality? You have problems admitting you're wrong, and you have problems saying I'm sorry. People already know you're wrong. You know them. You ever met somebody that gets in a discussion with somebody? They know they're wrong. The other person knows they're wrong, yet they'll never admit that they're wrong. You ever met them before? It is a sign of the character and quality of person that David was, that he's a stand-up person, and even to take a piece of a garment from God's anointed king smote him straight to the heart. And then I want you to see the level of, 
level of the heart that David has. You see, what we need today, and the reason why I emphasize this passage so much to us tonight, is what we need today are more men, more ladies, more young people like David in this passage who are willing with a sensitive heart toward God to stand up and be willing to tell other people, what I did was wrong. I took the place of God in that. I was not yielded to Him. We have such in this culture, this tough guy image, that we realize that sometimes the weakest way to live is to live like the tough guy. And the toughest thing to do is just simply learn to do what is right. Notice, notice this from David. He goes out from the cave when Saul is a safe distance away, and he cries out to him in verse number 8. And notice what he does. Listen to these words. Follow along in verse number 9. And David said unto Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. David's people had been tell, or Saul's people had been telling him, David's trying to get you. So Saul's out seeking him. David basically says, Hey Saul, what about those people that are saying that I'm trying to hurt you? Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord have delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see ye, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. Powerful words from a wise younger man, but then notice the level of what he says in verse number 12. It's really where our message comes from tonight as we get to these points. Verse number 12, the Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. We live in a day where we decide, somebody wrongs me, I'll get them. Someone says something about me, I'll go back to them. David lived as a man's man before God, saying, my one goal in life ought to be, however God leads, whatever God's will is, that is what I would do. And in those moments, as you take your Bible to Psalm 37, and I want you to see just about five words in Scripture that when we see them, we see the value of how sweet it is to trust God. When the opportunity comes to get back to those who have hurt us, or get back at those. When the opportunity comes to take a swipe at someone who left the door open for us to get back at them. There's three choices that we make. One, you choose your counsel. David was in the back of the cave. And it was either going to be the counsel of the Lord that that's my anointed, or it's going to be the counsel of his contemporaries to say, David, this is it. The opportunity means God's will. You choose your counsel. 
The counsel of our own heart, the counsel of others, or the counsel of God. You choose your words. I cannot control what anybody says or does to me. But some people try to think, well, when I said it, I just couldn't help myself. No, we, let's be open, folks. We can help ourselves. Well, I have the right to because they said this to me. No. I choose my words. And David, in the beginning, chose words that were disrespectfully in his heart before God to cut off a piece of that skirt of Paul's robe. But his heart smote him. And he said, the Lord judge between me and thee, and you choose your direction. When opportunities come, who will I trust? When pride wants to step in, who will I trust? When revenge would seem so sweet, who do I trust? In Psalm 37, and I can't tell you how many times I have encouraged people to look up these words, to read this chapter. Often people have come to me seeking input. They've been hurt, they've been harmed, and they're wondering, how do I react to this certain situation? I can't tell you how many times I've given a prescription, so to speak. Why don't you go home and read Psalm 37 every day this week? At least one time through. Notice the words of, Psalm, of, of the psalmist David. We don't have time to go through all of this, but just about the verse, first seven verses are going to help us tonight. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. David lays out his subject in the very first verse, and it is the workers of wrong. It is evildoers. And he says of them, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. I want you to see something in that. And it's the word fret. You see that word F-R-E-T? In our everyday usage of the word, and it, fret is not a word, you know, I, I fret that. It's a word, it's not totally uncommon, but it's not an entirely common word. What, what image comes to your mind when we say, I really fret tomorrow? Worry, concern, fear. The meaning of that word right there, look it up, is almost the exact opposite of the way we use it today. It's very, very different from the old English usage of it. And I'm not knocking scripture, I'm just defining the word. Because kind of like in the New Testament, the word conversation, only let your conversation, we talked about that a few weeks ago, conversation to then was far more than conversation today, where it's just input one to another. I would talk to Mrs. Bell or Brother Bell and we would converse. Conversation was the entirety of the life when that word was inserted there. Fred is similar. Fred in the way it was used here, that word doesn't mean fear or worry. Sometimes people think, yeah, well, boy, we shouldn't worry about the workers of iniquity. Boy, they're getting it all now, but they're going to get their comeuppance one day. That's a way to look at that. But the word fret, what it means is this. 
to be furious or heated. What that verse is teaching is, don't be furious in thyself because of evildoers. Let's be honest with ourselves. How easy is that for all of us? I'm the first person to put my hand up. And, And may I put it this way? This is not talking about righteous indignation. There are things going on in this culture that ought to sicken and give a righteous anger to any born-again child of God. All this stuff that's out there, and the youngest ones are out of here, so I can be a little bit more open with what I say. So let me me make a firm application here. This doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a holy, righteous indignation against things like, I, I, I can't believe this has come in America. Family drag shows? You've seen that filth in the news. And by the way, not just in California. All over this country. And we're looking, I will tell you, Christian, I'm not saying that you go out and you take, God says vengeance is mine. Remember that in the scripture. But there ought to be a heat against evil. But notice what scripture says. Fret not thyself, furious, heated, because of evil doers. Do you see that? You see, the evil doer needs Jesus Christ. But if they don't, I want you to see something here. This is where the Christian takes all this. We, we get all hot and heavy and we get all upset and we realize something. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He's still sitting on that throne. Look at verse number two. They shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. On Monday, my wife and I were doing yard work. And I saw her go out and she had the lawnmower. And so she was mowing our patch of grass. So I went and got the edger. And I was edging the grass. You know, neither one of us when we were cutting that grass with a self-propelled mower, that means it goes by itself. I just got to keep my hands on it. And a power trimmer with a cord and a wire that goes and cuts the grass. Neither one of us got done and went, woo! Cutting grass like that is so hard. It's not how it is, is it? Now, if I were to go over here and I were to cut a piece of this furniture and I were to cut all the way down, that'd be some work. But to cut grass, that's nothing, is it? Listen, Christian. We live in a world where thoughts of vengeance, revenge, spite, and unrighteous anger towards evildoers, maybe even an unrighteous anger toward those who have wronged us, is the common way, but what we have to learn is this. All of that to God, it's like cutting down the grass. We get all up in arms about what God's looking at us saying, I've got it all under control. I know what I'm doing. Even that person that wronged you, that person that hurt you, 
That person that you're lying in bed awake at night bitter about? Remember this. I know all about it. I know the end from the beginning. And who are you going to trust to handle it? Here's that question again tonight. You, and by the way, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way to people, but those of you that are battling bitterness towards somebody else in your life, realize something. The bitterness you're harboring is only hurting one person. I say that for your sake, not to be unkind. The bitterness you harbor only hurts one person. Bitterness is a poison that destroys its own container. So God says, don't fret. Don't live in a furiously bitter, angry, heated state. Look again at verse number three. It just keeps coming back to us. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell on the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Trust and obey. A song that if you've been in church much in your life, you've sung songs like that, you've heard messages like that, we've heard and seen all of those, just trust and obey God. We never really get away from those elementary things. Then in the moment that we're harboring that bitterness, vengeful thought, we're the one in the back of the cave, and we have the opportunity to get back at the one who's been hurting us. God says, I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. Then he comes to another word, verse number four, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. All connected to that first statement in verse number one. You as God's child, just learn to delight yourself in the Lord. That word delight does have within it the true understanding of find my pleasure in. The Count's boys, and now a new generation of Count's boys. You say delight. We know what delight means. It has an adjective. It's in a bowl. Me and Russ, and now Aaron, Drew, and Caleb and probably even others within the family, but I know the Count's boys. Grandma makes something, puts it in a bowl. Is it angel food cake? And strawberries, and the strawberry sugary juice, and whipped cream, and you mix it all up, and Mom calls it strawberry delight. And when Russ would come over, I'd get my bowl, He'd get his bowl, and once everybody had their share, it was Katie bar the door. Because whatever was left was up for grabs once everybody has a chance. But one year, a few years ago, I'm walking through the kitchen. The meal was over. Mom had made strawberry delight, and there was 13-year-old Aaron. Not with a bowl. The bowl grandma had made it in. With the largest mixing spoon that he could find. Home, home, home. And I realized there's another contender to the strawberry delight throne. You say delight, and that's the first image that comes to our minds. It's what brings a little bit of joy here on this earth. 
but far deeper than a wonderful dessert is the joy that comes from being pliable and movable in the hand of the Lord. Everything within us gets heated, gets angry. It says how sweet it is to say that, how sweet it would be to do that. But the Lord says, won't you find your delight in me? Why don't you shed that anger and bitterness and thought of revenge for thoughts of me? And then he says in verse number five, commit thy way unto the Lord. The word commit comes from a word which means to roll. Roll your way unto the Lord. Some of you, what I would encourage you to do is I would encourage you to take whatever that burden is tonight and do exactly what the Lord says in his word. Commit your way. Commit that bitterness. Commit that hurt. Commit that pain. Commit it to the Lord. And notice what it says. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I know a lot of people, and it's been taught well here in the church for years, consider that verse under the understanding that God cares for you, and he does. But when you read that verse, it is this. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Not only does he care about you, he takes that care in your place and he bears it when you give it to him, when you roll it his way. And then the last word that we'll see in verse number seven, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Here's that word again, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Here's where it ties in, verse eight, cease from anger, fret. But notice that word rest in the Lord. That word rest, when I go to sleep tonight, the rest of the world is silent to me until I wake up. And I'm learning that a little bit older that I'm getting, the more often I wake up through the night. I'm learning what some of you talk about where you go, I slept through the whole night. That happened to me a couple days ago. I sprang up and thought, it's a miracle. How many ever straight hours it was? But when I am out, you've had that experience. Your child sneaks into the room because they had a bad dream. They don't say a word. They're just hovering over your body. 3 a.m. You're laying there. They got all the way in the room. They got two inches from your face. They didn't say a word. What is happening there? You are gone to the world. You are silent until that breath hits you just right and you pop open. What? You are silent to the world. That's the word rest there. Be silent. What it teaches us in this passage 
of all these different words we've taken a few moments to look at is this. When we rest before God, we keep silence before Him knowing He's got it taken care of. Let Him lead. Was it not Jesus who said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? Was it the Lord who said, I am the Lord, I change not. He will keep thee, he will guard thee, he will carry thee, he will deliver thee. That's why David could be in the back of that cave and everyone around him is going, David, this is it. David, get him. And even though David's heart smote him because of the small thing that he did, he could have easily taken that dagger under the ribs and taken his life, but he didn't because he knew one thing. I've got a job. Trust him. Trust him. Christian, tonight, whatever your circumstance, maybe it is revenge. Maybe it is bitterness. Maybe it is that element of pride. Maybe it is seeing an opportunity and saying, you know, it must be God's will. How about we learn to say, Lord, I trust you with whatever it is you put before me. Let's stand together.